recorded on 421 and the evening service at the Living Savior Church in 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. It's on Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the mighty gifts of the Spirit. Now we go to the service. Talk just a teaching off and put on a tape. And uh, it, I, I, was, I thought I could get it on a 90-minute tape, but I couldn't. Uh, it was a tape, and I didn't want to make two tapes, a long one and a piece. Yes, Kathy? Your, your son here um, said he thought maybe you were a uh, closet Pentecostal. Oh, closet Pentecostal. <laughs> <laughs> a closet Pentecostal. I love that, Ted. Closet Pentecostal. Well, I'll tell you what. You, you know where I see lots of prayers answered from? Mm-hmm. From that closet, right? Uh-huh. From that closet, I do see lots of prayers answered from that closet. You know, it's amazing when you finally get to the point to where you really begin to understand who your God is and his ability to exceed every prayer request you can possibly bring to him. It gets to where it's not a problem to pray for people. I mean, you know, uh, until we realize who God is, and because I'm going to tell you that until just a few years ago, I didn't really know who God was. I thought I knew a little about him, but I will be the first to tell you I had him in a little tiny box. And I think that's where most of us have him. But when you finally realize who he is and what he can do, that he can, whenever you read that magnificent promise in Ephesians 3.20, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you can even think or imagine according to the power that's in you. Where is he at, Lou? He's in you. And guess where that power is at? He's in you. And you. And you. And it's awesome to release that power, isn't it, Wendell? Oh, I'm telling you, Wendell, is seeing so many awesome answers to prayer. This young man, I mean to tell you, this young man has caught on fire for Jesus. I mean... Uh, the church needs to get a hold of what this young man's got a hold of. This young man has got a hold of God in the last four months, and I have never in my life seen a young man come from where he was to where he is in such a short period of time. But this young man has started walking holy before the Lord, and he, just like me in the area, if it is written, it's not. I mean, you don't, there's, no, there's no, uh, no discussion. You know, if it's written, it's done. In fact, I had, a, I had a man that just, just, I mean, it's amazing. There was a man uh, in the fat last few days that made a statement. He said, there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Well, I've heard that spoken many times, so I went to him and I said, Sir, when you quote Romans 8, 1, you need to quote the whole verse. Right. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I hear too many people that quote just part of a verse and I said, the way I read the Word of God, what the statement you made is not true. And, and man, I'm telling you, this guy read me the riot act. I mean, he jumped on me like a duck on a June bug. And so I just tried my best to stay in love. And I said, well, all I'm going to do is I'm going to read, I'm going to open my Bible where your eyes can fall on that verse. And I want you to read it with your own eyes because I said, I think God meant exactly what he said, and I read the book literally. I said, my Bible says, and I opened it right here for him to look at, and I said, my Bible says 
in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, comma, who walk not after the flesh, comma, but after the Spirit. And I said, you can be a Christian and be condemned. I said, that's why so many Christians are walking sick and afflicted on the earth today, because they have not realized who the enemy is, and they're still walking in the flesh. Yep. And when you're walking in the flesh, you're walking out there in the devil's world. You may be a born-again Christian, and you may be, and I'm not 100% sure if you're on your way to heaven. Now, you may be. You know, but God's the one going to make that decision. I'm not going to make that decision. He is. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to walk well, and you want to walk in power with God, you're going to walk in the Spirit, and you're going to walk holy, right, J.C.? Well, ain't no exceptions to the rule. There ain't no exceptions to the rule. God don't have no favorites. He ain't got but one deal, and it's written right here in this book. So all I can say is, when I read that verse, I have to read it all. I can't just say, because I'm a believer, and I'm in Christ, I cannot live under any kind of condemnation. Now, maybe you're not going to be condemned to hell. I hope not, you know. But the Word also says that if you're walking, if you're a child of God, you'll not walk in sin, right, Wendell? Yeah. Where's that, Sam? 1 John. 1 John. 1 John 5.18. See, I mean, that boy's got the Word hidden in his heart, see? I mean, every preacher needs a man like him sitting on the front row. <laughs> Amen, brother. Now let's turn over and check him out. Let's turn over and see if he's got his, got his uh, stuff all together. First John 5, 18. See, every preacher, you need to check him out. In fact, I'd like to just start in verse 15. There's some good stuff in John, first John 5. And First John 5, 5, well, actually, starting verse 14. It's just so much good stuff in that chapter, right, Wendell? You just come in, ladies, come in, praise God. Y'all come in, find you a seat back there, praise the Lord. First John 5, 14. And First John 5, 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Well, that's good news, isn't it? And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. So, I mean, just think. I mean, just think of the promises God has made us. Now, if any man see his brother sin, a sin, and it is not unto death. Wait a minute now, Lord. You mean there's a sin unto death? That's what that said, isn't it, Paul? So you better be careful. There is a sin unto death. Now, that's kind of scary, isn't it, Terry? Now, there is people out there that when they send that sin, let's see what he says. Now, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you should pray for that. Now, then, how do you know that? How, do you, how are you going to figure that out? You ever stop to think about that? When somebody sins, how am I going to know, J.C., whether it's a sin unto death or not? Well, if they're sick or they've sinned or whatever and they ain't dead yet, maybe I can pray for them, right? 
That's the only thing I can go by unless the Spirit tells me by one of the gifts. Now, if the Spirit tells you something to do, then you know. And I've had that happen to me. I have went to pray for people, and the Spirit would speak to me and say, Don't pray for that person. But, Lord, you told me to pray for the sick. And then the Lord will say, But this man has lived in sin all of the years. He's been a, he accepted me as Lord or Savior 20 years ago, and he's never lived more than two weeks at one time righteous. The rest of the time he's lived in sin. I even healed his back one time when he was living with a wife out of a, with a woman out of, in adultery. But now then, I ain't going to heal him no more. In fact, don't pray for him. I'm going to bring him home. And the next day, that man dies. Or you go somewhere and you pray for a man. You take a man that has been out of church for 10 years, born-again Christian, used to be a youth leader, used to be a song leader, used to have done all kinds of things. For 10 years, he's not produced any fruit for the kingdom, and now he comes down with brain tumors. And you go down and you pray for the guy and you do everything you know how to do. You rebuke the enemy and everything and you leave there that day knowing the man's going to get well on Monday afternoon and Thursday the man dies. So Wednesday, I mean Sunday, when we buried him, I go back and I keep saying, Lord, on the way back, since I've heard God's voice so many times, I know he will talk to you. And so I stay with it for two and a half hours saying, Now, Lord, you put me in this business. You made me a minister. You made me a, a teacher of your healing power. I said, Lord, I don't know where I messed up. I did everything you told me to do. Now, did I not have enough faith, or did I have a sin in my life? Where did I miss it, Father? In the name of Jesus. And, Lord, I thank you for the answer. And nothing. And you go over that and over that and over that for two and a half hours. And finally the Lord says, No, son, you didn't miss it. Your answer is in John 15, 2. So, man, I flipped over to John 15, 2. I said, Lord, what is the answer? This man had been out of church 10 years. He had not gone to church. He had quit producing fruit for your kingdom. He's just working and doing all kinds of things, but he's not going to church, him and his wife, not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And when I turned over to John 15, 2 and read that verse, it says, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and every branch in me that produces no fruit I cut it off. I'm telling you, if you want to live a good, long life, guess what you're here for? You're here to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. You're not here to work and make a living. Now, that's just one of the uh, secondary things that you get to do. But you're here. You know what you're here for? You're here for here to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. You're here to win souls. You're here to teach people the word of God. You're here to build up the church. You're here to build the bride of Christ. That's what we're here for. Now then, what if we don't go to church? What if we don't tithe? What if we don't do anything for the kingdom of God? What if we do it all for us? What if we do like a man I know one time that said, Well, I've got to retirement age now, and uh, I have went to church all these years. Now then, I'm just going to uh, retire. I'm going to take my motor home. Me and my wife just going to travel. I mean, I'm tired of doing all these things. Uh, I'm going to resign. I'm not going to be a deacon no more. Uh, I'm just going to go out there and we're just going to travel around the country and just do nothing. I'm going to tell you what. I mean, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't give two cents for a man's life if he's going to travel around the country, if he ain't going to go around the country trying to win people to Jesus, and wherever he's at on Sunday, stop and, and be in some kind of church and be a witness and out there doing something, because that's not what God gives you retirement for. Somebody asked me the other day, says, I mean, when are you going to retire? I said, retire? 
I said, I went down last week and put a new set of tires on my pickup. That's the only kind of retire I'm going to do. <laughs> ain't no word. Ain't no word. I mean, I think about, I think about this last week. It's never a night that I can possibly get in bed before 12 or 1 o'clock. In fact, knowing that Saturday, I had some things I had to do Saturday, but I didn't have to go teach the Bible study class over in Rowlett until 2 o'clock Saturday. So I knew I had to get all the tapes and as many things done as I could. I was up there just working my heart out, making uh, radio shows and doing all kinds of things, and I turned over and looked at the clock, and you know what time it was? 3.45 Saturday morning. I didn't even know. I wasn't even tired. 3.45. I said, well, gee whiz, I guess I better go down and take a quick shower and go to bed. I mean, gee, many crickets. You know, I've only been up since 6 o'clock yesterday morning. Uh, you know, so it's time to get a couple hours sleep before I go, you know, get up and go over to Rowlett to teach tomorrow, yesterday afternoon. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's just, a, it's just an anointing there. I realize you do have to sleep some, but you don't have to sleep 12 hours a day, you know. I mean, you, you can, you'd be amazed what you can do on five or six if you just, but you got to serve God. Everything I was doing was for the kingdom of God. Everything. I, you know. It's just, it just awesome what God does. Now, look what he says he will do. If that person has sinned unto death. Well, what does that mean? First of all, I want us to get that in our spirit. There is a sin unto death, right? Yes. Now, how do we know what that is? We really don't know, do we? That's right. So we, we, need, to be, we need to be very careful when we sin. If we think about sin, the best thing to do is don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, if you start to do something wrong, as born-again Christians, I'd like for every one of y'all to think about this question or this statement. As a born-again Christian, if you know, if you start to do something and you know it's sin, there's just something in you that tells you it's sin. Right, Jeff? Yeah. That's the Holy Spirit. So you know when you're touched in your heart, if you start to do something or if somebody says something to you and you start to say, well, I'll get him back, if you'll think just a second... There'll be something rise up in you, said now, Kathy. That won't glorify me if you do that, right? And so if you listen to that, then you won't sin, right? But that's the difference between the Spirit and the flesh. If this little lady's led by the Spirit, she's going to listen to the Spirit, and she ain't going to get up and tell that guy how the cow eats the cat. You know? But if she's led by the flesh, guess what she's going to do? She's going to say things later you'll be sorry for. Now, we've all done that, unfortunately. But... There is a sin unto death. Now then, I will say one, there's one case in the Bible I read about that I know that two people did that was a sin unto death. Anybody ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> You've heard of them, haven't you? <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they come out there one day and then he says, Honey, let's uh, go out here now. We realize that everybody's selling their land or their houses and giving it to the Lord. So let's go out here and let's sell our, our place. And so we did, and we get, they don't, the money, the number's not given, but I'm going to give you numbers. We get, we, how much money do you want for your land? We're going to pay $500 for it. And he got said, I'll buy it. Good. So you take the $500. Now, honey, let's go down here now. We're going to tell Peter that we only got $300. We're going to keep 200 but we're going to give the church all of it. So, Peter, here, we, here's this $300 we got. We want to give it all to the Lord. Now, then there was a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit that came to Peter that said, Ananias, 
Why did you lie to the Lord? Was not the land yours? Could you not have done anything you wanted to do with it? I mean, it was yours. Why did you have to lie to the Lord? Now, because you've lied to the Lord, you're going to die, and these men are going to carry you out and bury you. And instantly, what happened to Ananias? He died. Kind of scary, isn't it? And so, about three hours later, after these men had been out and buried Ananias and come in and walked in about that time, Sapphira walked in. And Peter said, Sapphira, is this the $300 really the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, he said, that's the price. Why have you two got together and decided to lie to God? Now, the man that, that buried your husband will carry, will carry you out and bury you, and bam, she fell dead. And it says, in great fear fell upon the church. Now then, I'm going to tell you, if we had a few of those kind of deals, I can see that now, can't you, Ted? Uh, a preacher gets up there and he says, come up here and let me ask you all, y'all today, how many of y'all tithes today? <laughs> and so, hold up your, I, think, I mean, I'm not serious about holding up your hand, but somebody says, okay, I did, I say, good, come up here and give a testimony. I give 10% of everything I made this week, and all of a sudden, bam, he falls dead on the floor. <laughs> I said, now, who's next? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, if you come up here and tell me you're tired, I'm you're going to look at your checkbook and you're going to make sure that you give 10%, right, Colleen? You ain't going to go up here. You go. <laughs> if we had a few demonstrations of the Spirit's power like that in church today, we, it wouldn't be long. Fear would fall upon this church, right? Is God gracious or is he gracious? Oh, oh, awesome. If we got what we deserve, that's just like a young man the other day, I was talking to a young man. He says, I can't believe what happened to me. Now, this young man has had, I don't know how many DWIs. I don't know how many times he's been in jail. I don't know how many cars he has wrecked. And he's on a probation right now, I think the second or third one, and he's about that close to going to prison. And he's... Got one of them deals where every time he goes out, he has to have one of them breathing deals, you know, on his car. And he has to breathe into it to show that his breath, you know, before he can crank that car, he has to breathe into that thing and so forth. I mean, that's how far he's gone. Oh, yeah, they do some strange things. He had to have a, had to have a driver's license. And the only place he can drive is back and forth to work. He can't go nowhere else. But the other day, somewhere he had a bottle of tequila or something, and it had been opened. There was a little bit of it gone, but it was in the trunk of his car. So a cop knew him. Of course, they all in that area where he lives knows him. So the other day, one of them stopped him and checked his car. And he found that bottle of tequila in the back of his car. The next day, he was so mad he could bite a nail in two. And he said, I didn't get what I deserved. I told him, I said, son, you're absolutely right. If you had got what you deserved, you would have been dead a long time ago. You need to be praising the king. I said, I've never seen a young man that wrecked as many cars, that's done as many things wrong, that still is not in jail as you are. I said, you're right, son. You didn't get what you deserved. If you got what you deserved, you'd be dead and six feet under and in hell. That's where you'd be if you got what you deserved. But I said, praise God for his grace. You ought to be praising him and worshiping him and thanking him that you're alive and well and able to drive and go back and forth to work. 
Now then, if he really had done it right, what would he have done? He'd have made sure there was no alcohol in his car. I said, I don't have to never worry about him stopping me. I said, now one night I was going home, and it was 12, 31 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. Now, I'm driving 45 miles an hour on 114. That's before it was finished like it is now. Well, that ain't finished yet, but anyway, it was a still a, you know, a whole lot smaller road than it is now. And I get out toward the, the uh, whatever that trophy club, and the road is a stoplight. Ain't nobody on the road but this old crazy guy, me. And I'm driving 45 miles an hour, and so I go right to a red light, and I'm, I've been out ministering to a family, and I am absolutely drunk in the Holy Spirit. I am singing. I'm praising the Lord. I'm driving down the road with one hand up, praising the Lord, thanking Him for what He's done. And all of a sudden, I see red lights behind me, red and blue lights blinking. I look down my feet. I'm done doing 45. And I thought, wonder where he's going. So I pull off, let him by, and he pulls up behind me and stops. I thought, wonder what I've done wrong. And so he comes up there, and he takes his light, and he shines it in. And, of course, i got Bibles and tapes and everything else all over the truck. And he says, uh, could I see your driver's license? I said, sure, sir. I'll be happy to. So I said, but what did I do wrong? He says, uh, I handed him a driver's license. He said, could I see your insurance? I said, sure. I reached over and get it. And he looks over, and he says, what's all that stuff in your truck? What's that bottle there? I said, that's a bottle of anointing oil. I said, would you like to see it? I reached over and got handed it to him. It says olive oil. He said, what are you doing? And I said, I anoint the sick with, with that and heal the sick and cast out devils. <laughs> he said, you know what I really thought you were? I said, what? He said, I thought you was an old drunk going home, driving 45 miles an hour on Sunday morning at 1 o'clock. I didn't know you was a spirit-filled preacher. <laughs> so we sat there and talked for 30 minutes. And praise the Lord together. And then all of a sudden he got another call on his radio. And he said, i got to go. But he said, boy, if I enjoyed this 30 minutes, I'm so glad I stopped you. <laughs> See, you can turn anything into good. Is that right, Paul? There he didn't have a clue what he was fixing to get into. He thought I was an old drunk at 1 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning going home. He didn't realize I was drunk. But I was drunk on the Holy Spirit. And I was having a great time. And that bottle, when he saw that bottle... When I reached and got that bottle handed it to him, and it says anointing oil, he was blown away when I told him what I did with that bottle of oil. I said, I used that bottle of oil to anoint people and cast demons out and heal the sick. Isn't that awesome? Oh, he was, he was just, it was, he was really, he had a good time then. Praise God. Yeah, that's why we ought to be drunk, right? Drunk on the Holy Spirit. You know, not be drunk with wine, but drunk on the Holy Spirit. That's a praise the Lord. Okay, let's go back over here to the Scripture. Now then, Look at verse 17. Oh, we're on 1 John 5. We're still in 1 John 5. Yeah, I haven't, uh, we're still there, same place. 1 John 5, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. And I am sure glad there's a sin not unto death. Because if every sin was unto death, guess how many of us would be here today? <laughs> yeah, Ted, you just like me, huh? You might have said once or twice in your life, too, huh? There's a lot of room in here. A lot of <laughs> We'd be no picture up here either, I guarantee. <laughs> oh, goodness. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now, whoa! Now, that's, that's pretty tough to follow. What did he say there? 
We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Is that awesome? Is that awesome? So if you do not sin, and you are holy before the king, guess who cannot touch you? The devil. He cannot touch you. Is that, is that what the Scripture said? Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm, I, after, after this last week, some of the ways I was, you know, my feet were put to the fire, I'm going to tell you, I ain't going to, well, I've tried to do this for a long time, but I'm not going to ever say anything I can't back up with. It is ripping. I get in enough trouble when I quote the Word of God to people. You know, I, it's amazing how much trouble I get into when I quote the Word, especially to some preachers. It's amazing. You know, so... I mean, gee, I mean, after all, that's what my Bible says. Maybe you've got a different one than me, but did yours read just like mine, Jeff? Okay, so if it reads just like mine, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you. It means that you habitually sin not. I mean... You can't, nobody can walk through every day of their life and never commit a sin. Can we, Sherry? I mean, there ain't no way that somewhere, somewhere along the line, maybe you get to go several days, but all of a sudden the devil will stick his foot in there and something, or the flesh will come in there, and you'll mess up. Well, I, I, I guess you do. I know I do. One, I try not to, but once in a while, you know, between the flesh and the devil, boy, you have to be careful. But when you do mess up, when you do mess up, what can you immediately do? Come to the Father in the name of Jesus and ask Him to restore you and forgive you for that sin, and He'll restore you to righteousness, right? Praise God for the blood. I'm telling you, if we didn't have the blood, there wouldn't be none of us here today. If every one of us, the first time we sinned and made a little mistake, Mr. Kaufman, me and you would have been dead a long time ago. You really would agree with that, would you? <laughs> his wife said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know if you talk about him or her. <laughs> but we're just kidding. We've got to have a little fun as we go through because we all know the truth to that. We've all been sinners. But now then, what he's trying to tell us, as born-again, spirit-filled Christians, we should not habitually walk in sin. We should walk pure and clean before the Lord. Now then, when we know that that, and if we do that, that great promise the Lord says that we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one, and who you think that wicked one is? The devil and his demons. Now then, if the devil comes upon somebody, and you are a born-again Christian, spirit-filled, and you believe this book, you have the power to cast out demons out of people. Now then, you stop and think about it. How many of you remember the story in the book of Acts when Paul went over there and he began to walk through and preach the gospel and there was a woman that came up and said, This man is of the Most High God. He's teaching you the way to be saved. Now, I want to tell you what. Most of the preachers that I know today, maybe even including me, if I wasn't careful, I'd want to make that woman a charter member of the church. Is that right, J.C.? Oh, yeah, put her on. She's doing good work. She said, hey, this guy come to teach you how to be saved. 
I said, hey, let, let, her, let her talk. But Paul, for some reason, he had a word from the Spirit that this woman had a spirit of divination. And after about the third or fourth day, he looked right at that woman and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come out of her. And he says, and that spirit tore her, and she fell on the ground flopping around. And when she got up, she was perfectly normal, and she was set free. And from right there, everybody hated Paul because they realized this woman that had spirit of divination had been telling people fortunes and making them money. No longer could she do that. So they wanted to kill Paul. I'm telling you, you start doing good things, get ready. Get ready. Right? The devil's going to come against you, right? So just get used to it. And that's kind of like the other day when I uh, talked to Dr. So-and-so that prayed for me, and I was telling him about what happened to me over in Cook's Medical Center a few months ago whenever I was threatened by the clergy, you know, that they was going to lock me up and file a warrant for my arrest and, and do everything else because I'd praying for the kids up there and all of them was getting healed. When I told him that, he said, well, you know, I've been over there many times and prayed for the sick and there's nobody ever said anything to me. I said, did you ever get one of them healed? Yeah. He said, well, not that I know of. I said, well, if, you're, if you ain't praying in faith and you ain't getting something done, the devil don't care. You can go over and pray for all the people you want to. But when you go in in faith and you lay hands on somebody in the next day or a few hours later, somebody's up out of that hospital going home. I said, all you got to do is do three or four of them. And the devil, all of a sudden, he sent some demons against you. You start doing good things for Jesus, all you got to do is read this book. And every time, Dr. Perry, you're going to start getting in the healing business, you better get ready. You know what I'm talking about, right? Get ready. Any man, any man or woman that starts wanting to do good things for the kingdom of God, get ready. You're going to come into a warfare like you've never experienced. So just get ready for it. But you have all power over the devil, and he's given you everything you need to beat that beast. So whatever you do, realize you're in a war. And he's empowered you with everything you need to get this done. Now then, when we think about that, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now then, I don't know what the percentage is of people that are born again Christians, but it's a very small number. And I hate to say this, but the world is like it is because we have not done what God told us to do. I would like to ask this question, but I won't. But I would like to, you know, I'm not going to ask you to hold up a hand, but I'm going to like to say, how many of you people, now don't hold up your hand, but I want you to think about this. Since our God told us the very first thing he said do in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, He's getting ready to go back to heaven. He said, now go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And everyone that will believe you and be baptized will be saved. Who did he tell to go do that, Jeff? He told, to he told you to do it. He told me to do it. He told you to do it. Now then, how many of us have taken to heart what our king said and make that a daily thing to do in whatever work you're doing? I don't care what you're working at. I don't care if you're working in a restaurant. I don't care if you're working if you're an airline pilot. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're making five dollars an hour or a hundred dollars an hour or a thousand dollars an hour. Your job on this earth is to tell people about Jesus. You know that? That's what you're supposed to be doing. 
How many people in a church, what do you think the percentage is? I just, maybe y'all could give me a number, because you all are around church people just like I am. What do you think the percentage of people in the church that lead at least one person to Christ every year? Just what? How many people do you think do that? Maybe you think about yourself. Have you, as a born-again Christian, in the last 12 months, led at least one person to Christ? Have you ever led anybody to Christ? Did you know I talked to people in the church that were just like I was? I was a deacon serving in a Baptist church, and I had been there for years, and I had never led one single person to Christ. I mean, I was working. I mean, I had a job to do, Jeff. I didn't have time to talk to people about Jesus, I thought. I didn't realize what my king told me to do. When I really began to get the idea that I was going to stand before him one day, and I was going to be accountable for every idle word I had ever spoken. That became scary. Not just every word, but every idle word. Did you know one time when this became a real reality to me many years ago, I had a young man working for me, and he was up in Grapevine one day driving a truck, and he was right on the guy's back bumper, and driving about 30 miles an hour. He should have been three car lengths behind the guy, but he was right behind him. And all of a sudden, the guy's driving along here 30 miles an hour, and he realized that's where he needs to turn, and guess what he did? Hit the brake. Didn't think to look see was behind him, so guess he ran over him. My guy in my pickup, my company pickup, he ran into the guy, totaled the whole back end of that guy's pickup, car, and you know, sprung their necks and everything. Didn't hurt my pickup, because I had a great big old... A bumper on it that we used to push trucks with all the time, so it didn't hurt my pickup, but it sure did mess up his car. Well, we went almost two years until finally this thing came to a head, and this young man that worked for me, he left after about a year, went to work somewhere else. So they called one day about two years later and said, we got to have a deposition taken on this accident that happened, and so I'm the only one that knew anything about it. So I go down to Dallas to a law office, and it's my first experience having a deposition taken. Has anybody in here ever had a deposition taken? You have? Okay, good. If it was your first one, if it was like mine, I didn't have a clue what that lady sitting there with that little machine was doing. But the lawyer asked me a question. And I'd say, well, let's see. Uh, mm, and guess what she put in that deposition? Everything I said. Well, mm, uh, let me see. Let's, uh, when I read that, when I got that thing back and I read that, I said, who was the idiot that was talking? <laughs> I guess who it was. It was me. I said, I can't believe anybody could be that stupid. I mean, and can you imagine one day God says, I'm going to judge you for every idle word. Can you imagine one day when he runs your life back and every, every word we said, Ted's recorded. You talk about a good video camera with a good audio system. I mean, you know, you, I mean, you can, one, I'm going to tell you that one of these days when you and I get to heaven, there's going to be a room up there with a big file, set of file boxes, and it's going to have titles on them like, uh, the good things I did, the bad things I did, my thoughts, my thoughts of lust, and you're going to open that and look at that, and you're going to say, oh, Lord, I, don't know, I want to burn this. I don't want nobody else to ever see this. And so you tear it up, and you can't tear it up. It's solid and better than the best steel you've ever seen. It's permanent. And then you know you're going to stand before the king, and you're going to be so, oh, your heart's going to be so broken. And you're going to think about 
all those bad things, everything that's been done. And then he's going to say, son, all that right there, all that bad, bad stuff right there, let me have that. Lord, I don't want you to even see that. And he said, let me have it and I'll pour my blood over it. And I'll take care of it for you. Aren't we glad of that, Ted? Oh, the blood. The blood of Jesus. Think, he took that upon himself for you and me. That can make you praise him, can't it, Paul? It's easy for me to praise the king. Last week we talked about praising the Lord. It's easy to praise him when you think about that. You know, in fact, next week I'm going I'm to bring an a, a, a email that a guy sent me this last week. And it's all about just what I'm telling you. It was about four pages long. And it takes a little while to read it. Some of you may have already seen it. But I read through all of those things, and none of them bothered me. I read through all of those pages until I got to about page three or four where it said, and he put his blood to cover all of my sins. And when I read that line with two guys standing right beside me, I just burst into tears and couldn't talk. It so broke my heart to think that all the good things I've done, but yet I've done bad things. And my Savior came, and your Savior, came to this earth 2,000 years ago to die on that cross, to pour out his blood, to be beaten beyond recognition so that you could not even tell he was a human being. There was a precious little lady one day come in. I'd led her to Christ. She was a little uh, Catholic lady, and I'd led her to Jesus. She was married to a Baptist man, and of course he didn't go to church hardly at all. And he was a little bit abusive with his words and things. And one day, this precious little lady, about 40 years old, she came to see me. She was so heartbroken. She was crying, and she was complaining about her husband and all these things. And, oh, you know, woe is me and all those things. And I finally listened to her a few minutes, and I said, Honey, why don't you just raise your blouse up and let me, in the back and let me see your back? She said, What do you mean, raise my blouse up and let you see my back? I said, I want to see your Scars. Well, she said, Thurman, what do you mean? I said, well, did he beat you with a cat of nine tails? Well, she said, no, he didn't beat me with a cat of nine tails. I said, you mean you don't have one single red stripe on your back? She said, well, no. I said, okay, then. Stop complaining. I said, Jesus, they beat him with a cat of nine tails and with pieces of steel and bone in it until they jerked meat out of him all over until his human body was totally unrecognizable as a human being. It was a bloody pulp, and he did that for you. He thought about that a few minutes, and I said, Dennis, that's not enough. They took him out there and nailed him on that cross, run spikes as big as your hand through his hands and through his feet, and then they set him up on that thing and dropped him in a hole and it hit the bottom. And when it did, it jerked his arms completely out of pocket. And I said, and he sat there. And then he let every demon of hell come upon himself so that every sickness, every crippling disease, and everything came upon him. And he bore your sickness. And he bore your sins. And he bore your disease. So you wouldn't have to bear that pain and sickness and disease. And I said, he did it all, and he didn't complain not one time. He didn't return one thing evil for evil. And he looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
She determined I'll never complain again, and she never has. She failed to put it in perspective. So we get a little something come against us. It's real easy to get angry, isn't it, Lou? Whenever you stop and think how it could be. How many of you, and I know the answer to this, how many of you have ever been hit one time with a bullwhip across your back? None of you, right? None of you. And praise God, aren't we glad? Can you imagine? Can you? I, no, you can't, because I can't. I mean, I remember as a kid out there on the farm, Dad and I'd be herding cows and everything. I'd be running around in them, and he'd be snapping them with a bullwhip, and all of a sudden something would mess up, and that thing would come back and hit me right in the back or something, that, that just one little tiny strap. Oh, wow, Dad, you hit me right in the back. Well, he was sorry. He didn't mean to do that. He was mean to hit that bull. But, you know, if you're out there, you get hit. You know, just one little tiny thing. Can you imagine what it must have been to have bore what Jesus bore for you and me? So, Lord, may I never complain. May I be able to never return evil for evil. May I return good for evil. Because so far, I've not ever really suffered. Have you, Paul? Not really, right? Now, when you really put it in that perspective, we've never suffered, have we? Nope. And that's a praise God, right? Amen, a praise God. So, you need to realize what, what the Lord did for us there. But he says that, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. So the world is wicked, but it's up to us now to get out there and tell those people about Jesus. Don't let this week go by except you do something good for the kingdom of God. Realizing there's an enemy out there, and we know who that enemy is. It's the devil, and he comes to kill, still into the sword. Now I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, yes, sir? Matthew 12, 37. Mm -hmm. Let's go over there and make sure I'm right. Let me run through that. Uh, take just a minute here, but let me flip over here. I believe Matthew 12, 37, I think, Jeff, that I always like to... Uh, check out to make sure that I'm right, because sometimes I am wrong. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. There is another one somewhere else that says idle words, too. Oh, it is? Okay. Oh, okay. That, but I say unto you that every idle word, there it is. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. That's right. Thank you, J.C. 36 and 37. So really, when you read this book, thinking that's pretty scary, isn't it? Pretty scary. I mean, I hate to think about, just like the other day, there was a man come into my office, and of course, we got the best high-tech security system in our plant that, in fact, they've even sent people from corporate headquarters out to look at this thing that we designed. Uh, uh, they wonder how I do the things I do. I tell them, because we serve the 18. And when they said, what do you mean the A-team? I said, well, my, my leader is the A-team. Oh, you say, your general manager? I said, no, 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 no. Not my general manager. My Jesus. He's my A-team leader. That's where my wisdom comes from. Not from him. I work for Jesus. And so that's how I get all the wisdom and everything. That's how I build and design all the things I do. They come out and looked at it. And, and after corporate come out and looked at this system, the security system, uh, they sent some experts out to look at it, and I spent an hour and 45 minutes in the office the other day with those men showing them and telling them what all we had done, because now they're interested in doing this for all of our core kitchens all over the United States. Because I've got the best system going. We've caught more people. We, I mean, everything in our plant is on video camera. There ain't no place you can be 
that you're not on video. I got a, a hundred cameras in that plant. Wow. A hundred. Inside and outside. There's no place you can be except in the locker rooms and the restrooms that I can't see you from my office. Pretty good system. Just like the other day, we had a guy come in. This guy's been doing this for years. I bring people in. I said, now look, guys, I've got you the dock covered. I've got cameras. I've got 11 cameras on just on the inside of the outbound dock. Ain't no place you can be. I've got them crisscrossed with a camera sees camera. Ain't nothing you can do. I can't see you. If you try to mess up a camera, I'm going to have you on another camera. You know, so there ain't nothing you can do to mess up. If you take three guys at the same time and all three try to get to a camera to mess it up, there's another one going to be seeing you. So you're covered. So I said, you know, the moral behind the story is don't do nothing wrong. You know, I thought about that. I thought, Lord, I've got a video system that sees everything, even myself, even my own office. My office is the only office that's got a camera in the office, but I record my office. So if anybody comes in there to do anything to that system, I've got them on tape. But I'm being recorded every day, sitting in my own office, what I'm doing. And I got to thinking, Lord, as good as this thing is, this thing's nothing compared to yours. This is scary, Lord. Everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, every idle word I've spoken, you've got it recorded. And it can't be going away. Every 30 days, I, I reuse the tapes. I only record a tape every day for 30 days, and then I start over. So I only got 30 days. After 30 days, it's history. But Jesus and the Father, his videotapes don't never stop. It's continuous. Every idol. Does that make it kind of scary? Are you glad for the blood? <laughs> you too, huh, Coley? You've been glad for the blood, girl. You know? So, in other words, only you and God know what you've done in the dark closet, right? And praise God, we aren't glad it's under the blood. I tell you, I'm glad it's under the blood, too. But when you think about that scripture, that is kind of scary about every idle word you and me. I mean, it's recorded, Jeff. There's going to be a cabinet up there, and we're going to pull it out, and it's going to be indelibly burned in, and you can't erase it, tear it up, or nothing. It's there. Everything we've said or done. So what does that make us want to do? Say good things, right? Have good thoughts, not do anything wrong. Don't do nothing that'll hurt the Savior. And when you do things like that, if we're his children, when your children do good things and they're good to you, what will you do for your children? Anything, right? But if they're meaner little hellions themselves, even mama can get a switch out once in a while, right? Huh? So, I mean, as long as your kids are good, I mean, I know Paul and I, and we all raise kids together. When your kids are good, you don't beat up on your kids when they're good, do you? Of course not. And usually you don't beat up on them until they've pushed you over the limit. Good. But when they do, you know, you have to reprimand them. And so the thing about it is, that scripture we read over the first John 5 while ago, if you sinneth not, the wicked one cannot touch you. That's an awesome promise, right? Awesome. So every one of us should want to walk holy and clean before the Lord all the time. Now then, let's go to that Ephesians that I wanted to go to there a while ago that we didn't, we didn't get to. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now I can, as I read this book of Ephesians, this is an awesome book. I mean, of course, every Bible in the book, in the Bible is an awesome book. 
But in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 3. Now, this verse 3 is an awesome verse. I don't know how many times I've read that verse. And, of course, as you start down through there, in verse 2, when he says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize Paul is speaking a blessing over the church at Ephesus when he's doing that? Did you know you and I should speak a blessing over those around us that we love on a regular basis? On a regular basis, we should lay our hand on our loved ones, our children, our mate, or something. And technically, the husband should do this. The husband, the spiritual authority in the home, should lay his hands on the head of his wife and his children at least once a week and speak a blessing of grace and peace and prosperity and health upon your spouse and your children. Shouldn't you, Jeff? And it's just an awesome thing to do. We do not realize the power in words. But Paul realized that, so that's why every letter he wrote, he said that. And then in verse 3, I can hear him screaming this all over the hills of Ephesus. Think about this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings or gifts in heavenly places in Christ. Now then, when is he going to bless you with these spiritual blessings? Hey, brother, praise God, they become yours the minute you become a born-again Christian, didn't they? All these blessings, all these spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts became yours. So what are they? What can you do with them? Well, let's let the Word interpret that. Turn back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's see what these magnificent gifts are, these blessings. Let's talk a little bit about these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Word of God says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, or spiritual blessings. Brethren, I would not that you be ignorant. Now evidently, everybody, or not everybody, but I guess at one time or another, everybody in the church was just like I was. I didn't know I had any spiritual blessings, Wendell. I didn't know I could do anything. Just like you didn't, right? We didn't know this. When you begin to get the word in you, it begins to totally change the way you do business. It's unfortunate that so many churches today don't teach about the spiritual blessings or the gifts. But let's see what they are. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. And that's, that's us, unfortunately. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. Now stop and think about that. If people are standing around taking the name of the Lord Jesus and cursing and profaning the name of Jesus, you need to, they need to check out who they are. I mean, you have, a very, you have a real problem for people that use the name of the Lord in vain. Because he says, no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So if I can ask you, is Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior? And you can say, yes, 
Ma'am, yes, sir. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. He has saved me and set me free. If you can say that, you can believe that, I'm going to tell you that just a few Sundays ago, sitting right over there in that corner, I asked a man that needed to go through deliverance after service was over. We got over there, and he had all kinds of demons in him. Most of y'all had gone home. But we sat over in that corner together, and when it came down to breaking, reconfirming his salvation, confirming who he was in Christ, breaking the curses, and then after we'd done all those things, I said, now then, since you've done everything, now I now want you to say, I command every demon that's in my body to leave me in the name of Jesus. And so far he had said everything I said, confirming his salvation, breaking the curses and everything. But when he came down to that final deal, now I command every demon in me to leave in the name of Jesus. And that's all he could say. His teeth clenched. He could not say, I said, in the name of Jesus. And he could not say that word. I finally said, I demand that you open your mouth and open it. When I said that, he opened his mouth, but his teeth stayed clenched. I said, now, in the name of Jesus, I command you to open your teeth. And he opened his teeth. I said, now, cough in Jesus' name. And when he did, red foam and flame began to come out of his mouth, look like blood. And water from edge to edge of both eyes just gushed out of his eyes. And the Lord cleansed and purified him with his tears. And as he spit that stuff up, when, he, when we finally got through, he looked up and smiled and he said, Man, I feel a hundred pounds lighter. You ever seen anybody go through a deliverance? Most people in church ain't never seen that. Hmm? What happens when a Christian lives in sin and starts living in anger and hatred and all these things? Every time you do, you invite a demon into your body. And when that demon comes into your body, guess why you can't control yourself? Because you've got a demon. People that have demons can't control themselves. They may be perfectly normal one minute, but the next minute you may be into a fit of rage or anger or whatever. This man knew he had a problem. He wanted to be free. So he came a few Sundays ago, him and his wife, and we went through a deliverance. These are things you don't see in many churches. That's just like a young man right now. He comes by my office a few years ago. I knew this guy 20 years, and I tried to talk to him about Jesus. There was no way he'd come and talk to me about Jesus. About five years ago, I told him, I said, Son, it was about 8 o'clock one Saturday night, and I was still at work. I said, I want you to come in here today. I want to talk to you about Jesus. He said, No, sir. I'm tired. I'm going home, and I definitely ain't going to talk about Jesus. I said, In the name of Jesus, get in here and sit down in that chair. I mean, that's, that's not a normal Baptist, is it, Kevin? <laughs> well, that young man came and sat down because I knew who I was dealing with, the devil. And he came and sat down in that chair, and in a few minutes' time, that young man told me what his problem was. Now, this is the young man's problem. He's probably 35 years old. He's married. He's got some kids of his own. But every once in a while, he is just about ready, I found out, to go to prison. For well, the simple fact, 
that every once in a while he'll see a 12 or a 14-year-old girl somewhere, and he'll get her off somewhere, and he will rape that girl. He says, I hate myself. I don't know why I do these things. He said, I've got my own daughter, and I couldn't stand to think about somebody doing that. But he said, Thurman, I can't control myself. Guess what he's got? A demon. That's exactly right. I said, now, son, I want you to confess. First of all, I want to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he did. I said, now then, I want you to rebuke that spirit with me after we break the curse that's been over you, and I am going to command them demons of hell to come out of you and go to the pit. And I said, now then, for you here in this office, I don't want no manifestation. Satan, I will not allow you to manifest in this man because I don't want a bunch of screaming and kicking and going on. It might create a problem with people walking by the halls, and I ain't going to put up with it. After we went through everything and got everything done and all the sins confessed and the curse is broken, I said, now, Satan, you have no legal right to this man, so you demons of lust and demons of anger and rage, I command you to come out of this man, go to the pit of hell, and stay there, and don't you ever come back in Jesus' name. That man's life totally changed. Totally changed. He has passed all the tests. He's had no more problems. He walked into my office the other day and said, Thurman, you got any more of your CDs for me? He can't listen to it, but he'd like to get one, so I'll make them for him. And I said, how's things going, brother? He said, all i got to say to you, Thurman, don't you ever slack off. Keep on doing what you're doing. He said, my life is totally changed. He said, if I hadn't run into you, I know I'd be in prison today. Now, who's that problem? Who is it, Kathy? The devil. The devil. Of course it's a devil. What in the world would make a young man, 35 years old, want to rape some 12 or 14 or 15-year-old girl? The devil. The devil. That's our problem. So we've got to realize who the enemy is. What in the world did Jesus come into this world doing? Killing people? No, he came into this world casting out demons. Didn't he, Sherry? So where have we missed it? I mean, we go to church and we, you know, we talk about all this light and fluffy stuff. Just who our problem is, the devil. So you kick him out. Now then, that example over there in the book of Acts, whenever that devil was in, that demon was in that woman, these men are men of the Most High God. They come to tell you how to be saved. Now, you wouldn't think that'd be a demon right off the bat, would you? You'd think, well, man, Jesus, we need to, you know, make her a deaconess in the church or something. But that woman's got a demon, a divination spirit. Now then, these gifts that we've got here, these, all these gifts, this is how you've learned this stuff. This is how you know what's going on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. Now, there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one, now listen, we're fixing to find out what these spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts are. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Now, God can give you a word of wisdom. He can put that upon you, and you'll know things. And then he says, to another, the word of knowledge. 
but it's done by the same Spirit. How many of you in this room, I'd just like to ask you a question, how many of you have ever had the Lord give you a word of knowledge? Praise God. Okay, some of you have. Now let me give you an example of what a word of knowledge is. I've had many of them. I try my best to stay tuned into the Spirit. One morning I'm sitting there in church, on the front row, listening to the pastor preach in a Baptist church. And all of a sudden, I get a word of knowledge. One word. Martha. That's all he said. Martha. I said, Lord, I don't know anybody by the name of Martha. So I try to think, who is Martha? Now, how many of you know God's a faith God and he don't give you much information? He expects you to do something with what he does give you? So I'm trying to figure out what to do with this word. One word of knowledge, Martha. So I sat there about five minutes, and I, you know, I can't think of nobody but the name of Martha. So I'm back to listen to the preacher again. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, Martha. I said, Lord, I, like I told you, Lord, I'm going to have to have more information. I don't know anybody by the name of Martha. And so we go through this in a few more minutes, and I'm totally, I mean, you know, the, the Lord, I mean, I guess he don't know. He's messing up this sermon. I ain't hear nothing this guy's saying. <laughs> but he's still the king of the church, right? He can do what he wants to do. He knows what he wants to do. I'm, third time it happened. Three times he spoke, Martha. I finally told him that third time. I said, Lord, i got to have more information. I'm almost talking out loud on the front row by this time. Lord, I just don't know who Martha is. And about that time, the preacher said, Oh, by the way, before we close the service today, I want you all to pray for my sister. She's losing her kidneys, and her name is Martha Scott. Now then, what am I supposed to do as a man of God? filled with the Holy Spirit and know this word, what am I supposed to do? What would you do? Well, I'll tell you what I did. As soon as the church service was over, I went to him at the end of the service and said, Brother, the Lord spoke your sister's name to me three times. He gave me a word of knowledge three times. So what you to do is to have your sister do what James 5, 14, 15, and 16 says, have her call the elders of the church to pray over her and anoint her with all, and the prayer of faith will heal your sister. And you know what he told me? I'm going out there this week. I'll tell her. He said, I saw that done. He's a 32-year-old master's degree graduate from the seminary, and his, his daddy's a Baptist preacher. And he said, I saw one person, a woman with breast cancer, anointed with oil one time in one church, and the Lord healed that woman. So I know that's scripture. Now, can you imagine a man with a master's degree, graduate from the seminary, daddy's a preacher, and he's a preacher, and he don't preach that verse. He don't believe in it. And so he goes out to see his sister that week. The next Sunday he comes back. I said, well, what did Martha say? He said, I didn't tell her. What do you mean you didn't tell her? He said, something in my spirit told me not to tell her. Guess who that was? Sure, the devil. I said, son, you listen to the devil. He said, son, I don't listen to the devil. I said, son, you did this time. I said, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me that strong and tells me that and you didn't do what God says, you listen to the devil. And I told that to another Baptist preacher here a while back, and he said, Do you think you're the only one that ever hears from God? I said, I don't know. When's the last time you heard from him? <laughs> I said, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. I said, that young man refused to do what God said, and his sister lost her kidney. And so there she was on a machine and everything else for months, waiting for a kidney. They couldn't find one. And finally, her 61-year-old daddy was the only one they could find that had a kidney that would fit and they didn't want to take it out of him because he was so much older, but they did, and put it in her. And I said, about three months into that, and that kidney failed. 
and that woman is down in the hospital in Dallas in critical condition in ICU. And I said, that night I was sitting in the church service way back on the back beside my wife, and when the service was over, the Lord drugged me out. I mean, the minute we stood up, he just pulled me out in the aisle, and I walked all the way down there, and I walked. I said, Lord, what am I going down here for? And I got down there and laid my hand on that pastor's shoulder just like that, and when I did, this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Son, get up there on that platform and call this church to pray for Martha Scott, and I'm going to heal her. Now, did she have to go through all that nonsense? If she had just been obedient, she would have been obedient, but she wasn't. And so his sister almost died. She had to go through a kidney transplant and everything. Now she's laying down in the hospital with that kidney failed and fixing to die. I ain't going to mess up this time. I mean, I ain't going to tell him nothing. Because God told me, he said, get up on that platform and call this church to prayer right now, and I'm going to heal Martha Scott. Now, guess who is still the head of the church? Jesus. And if he tells you to do something, you better do it. You know, you better do it. So I jumped up there and I told everybody what the Lord said, and I told them, that we're going to have a prayer meeting right now. We're going to pray for Martha Scott. We did. Had about 15-minute prayer meeting, and then we went off down there to that hospital in Dallas, walked into that room where that girl's ICU in critical condition, a half a dozen of us men. That nurse wouldn't let the two of us in that room. We went in there because I told her we'd come to get her healed. Jesus was going to heal her. Walked into that room, anointed her with oil, prayed the prayer of faith over her, went out of that room into a room beside with her daddy, Baptist preacher, brother of Baptist preacher, we all worshiped, praised, and prayed for another half hour, getting the van, drive an hour home, praising the Lord. Monday evening, I called Martin. I said, Martin, how's, how's uh, Martha? He said, oh, thank He said, the doctors don't understand. Her count's changing so fast. I said, you mean she ain't out of the hospital yet? He said, not yet, but at this rate, it ain't going to be long. Well, I didn't call back no more. Guess what happened? Wednesday when I walked into the service. There sat Martha. Totally healed. Martha has never had any more problem with her kidneys all these years. That's been seven, eight, nine years ago. What is a word of knowledge? Who is it that gives me that word? The Holy Spirit. Now, when God speaks to you and tells you to do something, even if you're in a church that don't believe in these things, you've got to go back to the Word. The Word. What does the Word say? He'll give you a word of wisdom. He'll give you a word of knowledge. Now, these... Paul, I can just hear Paul standing on those hills of Ephesus screaming this to these people. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with all these spiritual gifts. I mean, there ain't no devil in hell can stand against us, folks. I mean, just look at what he's done. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. And let's go on and see what some of these others are. To another faith, a gift of great faith. We want that, don't we, Wendell? Great faith. I mean, just faith. In fact, I had a man the other day talking about this faith. I know the Lord has given me great faith, and I so appreciate and love him for that. But when Brother Ben preached the message for the funeral for my wife and daughter, he made a statement from the pulpit that day. He said, Thurman is a man of greatest faith I have ever met, bar none. I mean, he says, I'm very uncomfortable around this man. You know why he's uncomfortable around me? Because he said, I never know what this guy's going to do. Now then, I'm led by the Spirit. If the Spirit gives me a word of knowledge and tells me to do something, and it's right in the middle of a church service, and he's standing up there preaching, just like I told him that day. I said, now, if the Spirit speaks to me, Brother Ben, and tells me to get up and go up to those coffins and raise those two girls from the dead during this service, if you're preaching 
And you see me get up and head for the casket. I said, you might as well just sit down because you're fixing to see the glory of God. I said, but I won't do it unless the Spirit tells me to. But I was sitting there waiting and said, Lord, you going to do it? I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. I'll do anything you tell me. And God knows I will. When he speaks to me, if he tells me to do something, I don't care if it makes me look like a fool. If he tells me to do something, and I do exactly what he does, guess what we get to see? The glory of God. I mean, everybody thought I was crazy that night in that Baptist church when I went down there and got up, jumped up on the platform and said, the Lord just spoke to me. He said to call this church to pray for Martha Scott and heal healer. You don't see that very often in the Baptist church, do you, Vicky? But guess what we all got to see? Wednesday night we got to see Martha in church. She didn't die like everybody said she was going to. We got to see the glory of God. Hey, hey, listen to these spiritual gifts. Listen to God. Let him use you. Believe these things are real. Don't be an old dead, old, stump Christian. Do what God says, you know. I mean, but that's unfortunate, Kathy. That's where so many of us are. You know, so let's believe God for a change. He said, now, the, to another faith, by the same spirit, to another the gift of healing. Wait a minute. In the church, we've got men or women that's got the gift of healing. I mean, we do if we believe God, right? So when we got one of those guys, if you got somebody that's sick, you know how many hospital calls I've got to make tonight when I leave here? Guess how many? Three. I got to go downtown to Medical City, one. Then I got to go from there back out to St. Paul's to another one. And then I got a missionary couple who's got a little baby over in Cook's Medical in Fort Worth. All that I got to do tonight after I leave here. Why do you think people call me and ask me to go do these things? Because one, I've got this gift of faith. Number two, I've got this gift of healing God has put on me. We've seen God do mighty things when I pray for people. You know it? So, guess who can have those? You can. You can. That's right. And this group in here, there's going to be some of y'all going to get this eventually. I mean, you're going to get it. You come here long enough, I'm going to beat this into you so you're going to start believing God. <laughs> if you come long enough, you're going to start believing God because I'm going to teach it to you until one of these days. I got tickled with Ted a while ago when he first came in. I said, God, do anything great for y'all? He said, yeah, we was out in the yard working on the yard yesterday. Kathy played for a shade, and the Lord put a great big cloud right over it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I mean, who would think about praying for a shade? Praying for a cloud. I've done that out in the field working many times out in the hot sun hauling hay. Lord, it sure is hot out here. Will you put me a great big old cloud up there for a shade? Thank you, Lord. And give me a light, cool breeze. And I'm working, and all of a sudden, a little while, I'll, hey, Lord, thank you. Thank you. There it is. Well, when you ask, ask believing, right? Don't just ask, saying, oh, God, I don't know what you're going to do. No, I'm going to ask. He said, forget it. You don't have no faith. You don't believe me anyway. And that's where we are. But he says, a gift of healing by the same Spirit. And to another, the working of miracle. Woo! Now, that's the one I'd love to have that, don't you, J.C.? Amen. I mean, I want to have that gift, the gift of miracle. I mean, just think what you could do. Well, I mean, the gift of healing is an entirely different thing than the gift of miracle. What do you think the difference is? You walk in, and you're invited into a hospital room, and you're going to go in like uh, Perry and I is going to do tonight, and, we're, and you go down and you lay hands on a person or command the Spirit, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do, and you pray for them, and you believe they're healed when you do that. Now, then how long is it going to take for God to raise them up? That we don't know. But the gift of healing, guess what's going to happen when we go in his name to do that? In faith, they're going to get well. 
Now, how long is it going to take? A week? A day? A two, three weeks? I don't know. But they have to get well. But gift of miracles, when you walk in and lay your hands on them, they get up and walk out either right then or a matter of a few minutes or a couple of hours. Now, that's a miracle. That was just like Robert Sleeman five, six years ago when Robert walked in to my office. He said, Thurman, I want you to pray and ask God to take my daddy home. I said, what's wrong with your daddy? He said, well, he's 76 years old, the 29th of December. He had a lung collapse two weeks ago. They put a defibrillator, whatever you call that thing, down in his throat, ruined his vocal cords. This morning at 3 o'clock, they called all the family in and said, we'll just go ahead and take him off life support. There's not any hope for him. And just go ahead and let him die. And so, so they pulled all the life support and said, Dad's laying there gasping for air. And said, the only thing that's working is his heart. And he said, I just want you to ask God to go ahead and take him home. I said, Doc, God ain't going to get no glory out of taking him home. Everybody's expecting him to die. I said, why don't, I said, how old is he? He said, 76. I said, well, that's a good long life. But I said, let's get, let God get some glory out of this. Why don't we take Matthew 18, 19, the prayer of agreement, when the Father said, anything you ask in the name of Jesus, it will be done for us. So why don't I just ask the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus to raise Mr. Sleeman up and give him three or four more good years and do such a miracle healing that everybody will know that God did it. And then after about three or four years, he'd be nearly 80. Just when the Lord's ready, just take him home with no pain or suffering. He said, man, I could agree with a prayer like that. I said, so let's do that. We read that. And I, I got through reading the verse. I asked the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus to do that for him. And I said, oh, thank you. It's done. I said, Bob, you can go now. Your dad's going to be fine. Is there any faith in that text? You see where I'm coming from? I didn't say, no, I, I go down there well and see what God did. Maybe he'll do something. I mean, I'm not sure it's God's will. Hey, why wouldn't his will? He told me to ask what I wanted to. And he'd do it for me. But I got to believe with no doubt in my heart. So I asked him, believe it's done. Well, a few hours later, Robert Seaman leaves my office. I mean, leaves the work, and he goes down there, and he walks into the hospital where he left his dad that morning in the wee hours on his deathbed with the life support equipment removed, and he walks up, and when he looks through the door, there's the bed, and it's clean and made up. What do you think he first saw? Daddy died. Nobody called me. He goes running in and looking. There stands Mama right there, and there sits Daddy saying, Hi, Bob. And Bob says, My knees would not hold me up. I had to fall in the presence. They kept Mr. Sleeman two more weeks in that hospital because he couldn't believe that he was well. His, his vocal cords, they ruined when they run that thing. He said he could never talk. He talked perfect. He lived three years and two months of perfect health. He'd even been a diabetic. Didn't have to have no, no dialysis, no nothing. I mean, everything. God does such an awesome miracle. He did everything I asked him to do. He got all the glory out of it. And guess whose life he changed? Robert Sleeman and his family. They were Presbyterian, and his mother went to church. His daddy hardly ever went to church. Well, let me tell you, for the next three years and two months, guess who was in church? Every Sunday morning. His daddy, his mother, and Robert become a completely different manager in our place. God became very real to Robert Sleeman that day. I mean, what, I mean, what is it about this book that we don't believe? If the Lord tells us he gives us all these mighty gifts, and then he gives us all these promises, he said, see, if I were to tell you, honey, anything you ask me to do, I'll do it for you. Anything. Just ask me. I mean, what would that mean to you? I mean, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But guess who made you and me that promise? The Father did. I mean, do we not believe that? 
Matthew 18 19. I've used that to get warmth off of people. I've used that to get scars off of people's bodies. I mean, I've used that to get people's finances met. There's no telling what I've used Matthew 18 19 for. Because Jesus said, Again, I tell you, Colin, whatever two of you on earth agree on, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Is that an awesome promise? I say, I'm not able to do all the things you could ask me to do because I'm the man. She might walk up and say, Simon, I want a million dollars. I said, well, honey, I can't give you a million dollars, but I could help you a little. But you can come to your heavenly dad, and he's got it everything, right? So if God's got all this abundance to do everything to meet all of our needs, all he's waiting for you and me to do is ask him in faith, but with our sins all confessed, walking holy before him. So when you ask in faith, I mean, I had no problem that morning believing God would raise up Mr. Sleeman. Because I remember specifically telling Bob, now, Bob, you can go. Your dad's going to be fine. Well, that afternoon, I mean, you know what Bob did the next day when he walked in my office? The next day, when Bob walked up, he walked up to the door. And the door was open. I said, hi, Bob, how are you doing? He said, Dummy, it's awesome. I said, what? He said, my dad is completely well. I said, well, praise God, that's what I expected. That wasn't what you and me asked for? Yes. I said, come in, Bob. He said, no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> and so he walked off. And a few days later, he come by, and I said, Bob, come in. He said, no, I can't yet. I said, what do you mean? He said, I didn't realize how real God was, but he was in that office with me and you that day. And he said, I still can't come in and sit down in your office yet. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. But God was doing a work in that man, you know it? And that man has made an awesome change. I mean, when you have had your dad pull from life support, and they tell you any second he's going to die, and everybody's given up, and you come into a man's office, and he prays one simple prayer and stands on God's word, and a few hours later you go down to the hospital, your dad's sitting in a chair, and he's well. Guess who healed him? There was no doubt in nobody's mind who done that for that boy. Now then, what was that gift that day the Lord gave me? What was in operation right there? The gift of faith? Sure it was. That's what it was. The gift of faith just come upon me. And I spoke that in bold faith. And it, God got all kinds of glory out of that. Changed the whole, all kinds of people's lives. These gifts. Now then, so if he gives to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy. Prophecy. How can the word of prophecy work? Give you an example. A few years ago, a young man asked me to come to a hospital in Garland, Baylor Medical Center. I went over there, and his dad was, his father-in-law, not his dad, his father-in-law, had a huge tumor on his esophagus, and they said he couldn't live. There was no way. If they don't take the tumor off in two months, he'll be dead. But if they take the tumor off or try to take the tumor off, they only give him a zero to a 10% chance to come out of the operating room alive. How would you like to have a diagnosis like that? I wouldn't. Would you? If I said, no curse comes upon you undeserved, Proverbs 26, 2. I've got to find out where your sin is. I said, you a born-again Christian? He said, yes. Of course, he had all these tubes in him. He couldn't hardly talk. But anyway, he could talk a little. After a few minutes, I understood he didn't go to church hardly at all. He didn't tithe. 
That Lord says that'll curse you with a curse, not just a curse, that'll curse you with a curse. If you don't tithe. So but I said, uh, are you walking in love? Well, what do you mean? I said, are you holding any grudges against anybody or talking evil against anybody? He said, uh, yes, I got a grudge against nearly everybody. Uh. I said, sir, that's your problem right there. That's your sin. You've been turned over to the devil for destruction of your flesh. That's according to Matthew 18, 19. And Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I said, if you will not forgive everybody from your heart, the Lord himself will turn you over to the tormenting spirits and they will destroy you. And I said, that's what you've done. You have... I said, who do you have the worst unforgiveness toward? He said, my mother. I hate her. I said, oh, goodness. I don't know what your mother's done to you, but I said, all I got to say is, do you want to live? He said, why do you ask? I said, because 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 and 22 says, life is yours and death is yours. You have to make the choice. Do you want to live or do you want to die? He said, I want to live. I said, okay, we got that established. I said, if you want to live now, then, you're going to have to confess your sins. You're going to have to ask God to forgive you for holding these grudges and promise him when you get out of this hospital, you will go to those people and your mother and tell them you forgive them and you promise to love them and walk in love from this day forth. Because Proverbs 26 says, no curse comes upon you undeserved. So if you're laying in a hospital bed at 50 years old with a tumor in your esophagus and the doctor said there ain't a chance that you can live, you're under a curse. Now you've got to find that person's sin and get it confessed. And he did. He made God that promise. We led him through the whole thing. As we got through, then the word of prophecy. This don't happen to me very often. But after I got through praying for that man, I said, now, sir, you like one thing, and that is you let me lay my hands on you in the name of Jesus and say, be healed, and you will recover. He said, go ahead and do it. I reached over and laid my hands on him and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And then I said, this came out of my mouth. You have now done everything the Lord requires. In the morning, you will go through your surgery. But I don't give you a 0% chance to come off or 0 to 10 to come off. You will come through the surgery with flying colors. And in three weeks, you will go home from the hospital. And in two months, you will go back to work. And as long as you walk in love, the Lord will let you live to be an old man. I came right out of my mouth. Guess who was speaking out of my mouth? The Holy Spirit. A word of prophecy. That's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. I turned and walked out of that hospital room and got down the corner and I said, Lord, that had to be you. I didn't know those things. I don't have a clue what's going to happen. But I said, Lord, you know. So I said, I know what's going to happen now. I've just spoken by the Holy Spirit a word of prophecy into that man's life. Next morning, that man goes through eight hours of surgery. I went back over there a week. His son-in-law worked for me. He said, uh, my father-in-law come through that surgery flying colors. I went back over in about a week, and I walked into his room, and the doctor was there. And the doctor and me was talking. He said, you know, I have never seen a man with a tumor on his esophagus lift out of surgery. Never. He said, we've never had one this hospital for sure. He said, it's like our hands were divinely guided on this one because everything went perfect. And I thought to myself, brother, you don't know how close you are to reality. That man went through that surgery. He lived. Three weeks later, he was out of the hospital. Two months later, he was back at work. And first thing he did when he got out of the hospital was able to drive. Guess where he went? To Amarillo to see his mother. And he got right with his mother. And a year later was the last contact I had with that man. 
a year later I called him one day. I said, Brother, how are you doing? He said, Praising God. I said, Did you learn anything? He said, Yes. I said, You going to walk in love? He said, I guarantee I'll never hold a grudge against anybody else as long as I live. That's a pretty significant way to get your attention, to be laying on your deathbed with the finest doctors over there telling you, Sir, if we don't take this thing off of your esophagus, you've got two months. And if we take it off, you only got a zero to a 10% chance to live. Would that get your attention, Terry? Yeah, that gets your attention. Now, why was he there? Because the curse was on him, because he'd been disobedient to God's word. He was holding grudges against people. Isn't that awesome? But the word of prophecy, it'll come out of you, that will to another discerning of spirits. How do you think Paul knew that day? That woman had an evil fit, discerning of spirits. How do, you think the, how do you think the other afternoon that I knew sitting right back there what that man had when I started to go through that deliverance after everybody went home? All these gifts of the Spirit are in operation. And he tells you, and you know exactly what to do. And then to another, divers kinds of tongues. All kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Those are two more of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Now then, how many people in most churches that you know of don't know what these nine gifts of the Spirit are and don't believe that they're a real thing? Now then, if you believe this, if you believe these gifts are here, now since God's a faith God, if you don't believe they're there, guess what will never operate in your life? Never. But if you believe all them gifts, and then you do what verse 30 says. No, not verse 30. It's a little further down. What's one of it? What I'm looking for here is just a minute. Let me get it. I'll find it. Oh, verse 31. I was off one verse off. Listen to what the Lord says. But covet... Uh, first of all, let me read uh, verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles... Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gift, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. But when he says, but covet earnestly the best gift, which one of those gifts do you think would you like to have to be the best one? Out of those nine I read? I mean, I want them all. Give me a break. I don't want one of them. I want them all. So I said, Lord, I'm available today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Use me for your glory. Give me the gift of wisdom, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, gift of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Lord, I don't want to be greedy, but I want them all. I want to be used of you for your glory today. Ain't that the way to do it? Praise God. He says, covet the best gifts. Lord, because I'm concerned, all those best gifts. Just fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. Lord, I am sick and tired of being a sick and tired normal Christian. I want to see the God that I serve that's a miracle-working God. I want to see miracles happen when I pray for people. I want to be able to know what's wrong with this brother. I want a word of wisdom. I want you to speak to me and tell me so I'll know, the, I'll know in that man's heart what's wrong with him. I want to know those things. When I walk into that hospital room, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to me and say, Now, if you want to get that man here, you're going to have to give that forgiveness out of his heart. I want to know what's going on. Because I don't want to walk in there with nothing. If I walk in there with no gifts of the Spirit, 
just me, guess how many people I'm going to get healed? None. But I walk in under the power of the Spirit, coveting all of these gifts, saying, Lord, I know these things are available. I've read in your word where these things work. Lord, I covet them, I want them, and I want to be used of you for your glory. Lord, I'm available. If you make yourself available to God, guess what he's going to start sending to you? He's going to start sending people for you to minister to. And I'm telling you, there's not anything any more fun than serving the king of the universe and praying just like a little window has and seeing God do all these things. I mean, one of these days for too long, I'm going to sit down with this boy on a camera. I'm going to sit down here. I'm going to put him on a camera and on a tape. I'm just going to get him somewhere in my, my home or something on a Saturday afternoon when I don't have him to do and I'm going to just let this kid tell me every miracle he can think of is happening here just so far. This young boy's had more of miracles and healing and deliverance already in the last three months than most Christians and preachers I've known that have been in the ministry 50 years. It's awesome what God has done through his life. Now then, if God is no respect for a person, and the only thing he did was confess his sins and start walking holy before the Lord, and then day and night hiding that word in his heart. When he started doing that, the Lord started using him. If he'll do that for him, and he's just a young 21-year-old boy, guess what he'll do for you if you'll do the same thing? Now then, here it comes down to it. Do you want to be used for the glory of God, or are you too busy to serve the king? So he don't come to you and make you do this. He tells you what's available, and he tells you to seek him. 